greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. And this week, we've got a really cool ass movie to get into. The, the guest that brought this up for selection, you're going to love her. Her name's Laura Lewis Barr. She's going to introduce herself very, very shortly. But I wanted to take a second and at least introduce you to the movie that we're going to be talking about. It's called Dinner in America. And I tried to figure out how the heck I wanted to introduce this movie, as I'm sure most of you who are listening to it haven't seen it. And may, maybe many more of you haven't even heard of it. So I'm going to let the movie introduce itself. Hey, Mom, can I go see a rock show with Shishi and Karen on Friday? Rock concerts are bad news. Come on, I never get to do anything fun! You really need to take it down a notch. <laughs> the Heat got a real hard on for you, man. They up the reward. They said you assaulted some lady. Tried to burn her house down? <laughs> get out! See anyone suspicious running around back here? You got some place around here we can go. I'm on five different medications. Are you gonna eat that? <laughs> I want you to take me to the concert on Friday night. We don't like rock concerts for her because of the strobe lights. You're thinking of a rave. What's that? Conversations have me buckle up! I drive are you both on dope? Oh! Do you think I'm weird? You are a total punk rocker. Let's see what you got. I'm a watermelon landing to your driveway. So is this like a date? Check it. Check it. Jail? Probably. Are you all right? You need to take it down a notch, mother So what do you think? Sounds pretty intriguing, right? So let's actually get into the meat and potatoes of this discussion. Please welcome to the show, Laura Lewis Barr. Again, Laura, thank you. Thank you so much for, for hopping on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. Admittedly, when you brought this title to me, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. And so I just wanted to say thank you for, uh, for, for introducing me to a movie. That's, that's what I really enjoy about this podcast is finding out what other people like to watch. And especially if it's a movie I'm not familiar with, it makes it far more enjoyable. So thank you. Well, thank you for letting me choose the movie. That was super exciting to have the choice, and I love this film. Well, wonderful. And we're going to get into the movie, but before we, we talk about the movie that we're going to discuss about being Dinner in America, I want to know a little bit more about you. Obviously, we connected a few months ago on the, the podcast guest website, but for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do, because... You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to finding out a little bit about like Psyche Cinema and and uh, just, inter, you know, getting that conversation started and short films and and uh, stop stop animation and all of that. So I'm really looking forward to knowing a little bit more about you. So what can you tell us? Thank you. Well, my background's in the theater. I did theater for many, many, many years. I taught, directed, wrote. And then I had one of my plays made into a film. That blew my mind because film lasts forever and plays end at closing night. So uh, then I bought a camera. I started teaching myself the camera. One way to do that was with these 11-inch dolls that I assembled in order to teach myself the camera and not make actors wait for me. And I fell in love with stop motion. And then the pandemic hit and I was in my basement making stop motion films as my day job was demolished. I teach public speaking and storytelling. So I'm, I'm sort of immersed in story. It's my favorite thing ever since I was a kid. 
And uh, so now fairy tales are really kind of my focus because they're really great length for my stop motion films. And the degree I didn't get that I always thought I was going to get was in psychology. And a lot of people use psychology, use fairy tales to explore psychology. So I'm, I'm sort of melding different parts of myself here. And that's why it's called Psyche's Cinema. And uh, yeah, I'm on, I think, my 15th short. And uh, it's been a good summer of festivals for me. So yay, I, I adore it. So when it comes to, have you been, have you been traveling around going to any of these different festivals and like, what have you, what have you been involved with thus far? So I, I was traveling then COVID killed mm. travel. So this month I will be, oh, you know, what's so funny. I was reading about dinner in America and they filmed this film. We're going to talk about where I'm going next week for the Vidlings and Tapeheads Film Festival. It's a wacky festival in the suburbs of Detroit. And uh, so I'll be there. I'll be in uh, Portland, Maine. I will be in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a busy time with some of my short films. Um, and I just found out tonight before we got on that I have one in Poland coming up in September, but I won't going there. I can't afford all that travel, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's so exciting and fun. That is exciting. That's really exciting. And I want to know a little bit more about that, but just because, you know, you're, you're talking just simply about like traveling for the listeners, you're in the Chicago area, correct? Correct. Yep. Now, when you said that you were teaching and you, you're basically theater background, uh, where did you go to school? Where did you teach? I'm just kind of curious just to know a little bit about that as well. Sure. I did my undergrad in Chicago, Northeastern, and then I went to San Francisco State and did my master's. I started a PhD at UC Davis and I wasn't, I didn't want the academic life. I mean, it's a luscious life, but I think I was really felt the artist calling me. Um, so then I did teaching at colleges, mostly community colleges in Chicago and California. Um, I spent 10 years in California before I returned home. And uh, yeah, so I was teaching theater and directing theater and writing theater for just many decades. Sure. <laughs> Not to age myself, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now... Also, regarding the 11-inch dolls, is this just something that you had been collecting? What, what What's the background story on those dolls? You, you ask such great questions. Um, no, never, never was a doll collector, but you can buy everything now online uh, used pretty cheap. I learned eventually to buy the dolls that have articulated um, wrists and elbows mm. and knees, um, because my first film, you know, they, they really couldn't move very well. They were very, the, the old fashioned ones. So, uh, I put magnets on the bottom of their feet. I have a, I have a, uh, metal, uh, stage and mm -hmm. I've, I've learned through trial and error. I'm really self-taught. So, uh, yeah, it's a blast. It's a, well, and the, here's the biggest thing is as a, as a playwright and a screenwriter, I was always sort of begging someone to do my piece. And then when I started doing my own, I realized, oh my gosh, I could do whatever I want. Oh my gosh. It's thrilling and terrifying to not have that gatekeeper. As a podcaster, I'm assuming you have the same, you know, you're free to make it up. And uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, what I'm what I'm curious because whenever I think of stop motion, I just think of obvious. I mean, the the time consuming element of just understanding of stationing everything and then subsequently editing, and it, it's it's something that I find extremely fascinating. And I, uh, it's not so much of a question, but but just kind of like an applause of that's, that's incredible. And I admire that, that you dedicate 
um, you know, this this time to this this passion because stop motion is something that I that I've always been a big fan of, and I, I can't stress enough of just all the meticulous like details that goes into making it happen. So to dedicate this this passion, I. Heck yeah, just uh, cheers to you. I just, oh. uh, like I said, it's not even a question. I just think it's awesome <laughs> that you're doing it. Well, thank you. I I have total control of my domain and <clears throat> that's what's really fun. Live action, you lose a lot of control. <laughs> so I think to have your own little kingdom, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Now... When you're when you're typically doing a quote because a, a short how how short are we talking about what it, what are those parameters that you're working with and how much how much time goes into just one? They're all different uh, in terms of their um, specifications. What I need. So my shortest films are two to three minutes. Three minutes. I just finished one that's fourteen. That was like a mega mega thing. Um, so I guess real life or daily life gets in the way. So it's often hard to say mm. how long they take, but I would say they take anywhere between say four months and eight months to do one, depending on the length, how many characters, how many scenes. Uh, I really follow the muse tells me what to do. <clears throat> I write it down. I hand it to myself as director. The director, me, says, how am I going to do that? And the writer, <laughs> me, says, figure it out. And so I do. I love <laughs> that. Trial and error. Do you have any type of inspiration? Are there other other filmmakers that have that have been in this media that you're like, you, you see their work and it's something that inspires you or you you've learned something from that and even your own stories, what, where does that creative, I don't know, inspiration comes from? Obviously, I mean, you're your own storyteller. I'm not taking anything away, but obviously this is so specific. So I'm just kind of curious to know why this and, and how this and what continues to inspire to do this, this form. There was a cult film that I never saw, but people often bring it up when they see my work and it was about Karen Carpenter, and it was done with Barbie dolls that they make get thinner and thinner and thinner. It was really kind of a crazy, crazy piece. But I saw some other thing years ago with Barbies, and they were just sort of held and moved around, and it was more about the voiceover, no mouth. My, I don't move the mouths either. But it gave me courage because it was so you know, scrappy, funky. It was just hilarious, but, you know, it wasn't trying to be slick. And mm -hmm. I'm always struggling because I want high production values, but I'm not going to be Pixar. I'm never going to be Pixar. So can I just be the best kind of scrappy style that I've created? Um, so that's what I'm learning in terms of story, they do just come to me and I tend to alternate between my own stories that have emerged and the fairy tale adaptations that that I like to riff on those and they're really fun to riff on. So I, I tend to alternate and I'm, I'm often doing kind of political things, which the dolls with political things is a really cool mashup. Uh, again, just one more time for our listeners, how can people find you there on your, 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 your various channels or where can people see these shorts? One easy way is just my name, Laura Lewis with an E bar, two R's, Laura Lewis bar films.com and Psyche's cinema on YouTube, but Laura Lewis bar films will take you everywhere. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm excited, you know, admittedly, you know, uh, this is one of the great things about this form is you get to meet new people and find out one, what, what type of films they enjoy, but also what it is that they do and what is it that they're working on. And 
recently discovering your work. I've, I've just been incredibly fascinated. So that's why, again, just really excited to uh, chat with you and just figure it all out. You know, just, yes, I do a podcast, but I'm also a writer in my own right. And so anybody that I, I admire people that are also writers that, that take their work and create it more than just words on a page. And so just being able to chat is, is awesome. And this movie that we're going to talk about right now, just to kind of like segue is another project that somebody developed over the course of years before it finally became to what we now know of as dinner in America, but I'll shut up a little bit and allow you to kind of introduce the movie that, that you brought to my attention that you wanted to talk about and uh, a little bit about this movie. So what can you, what, what can you share with us about dinner in America? Well, it's a punk rom-com. So that's the first thing. And punk, the punk aesthetic, uh, blows me away. And I'm not a punk person. I've never really considered myself. But the from the filmmaking to the music and the characters, uh, they really commit to this sort of in-your-face, um, but full of heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's an a unpredictable love story. And uh yeah, I'm going to work really hard not to have spoilers. So I, I'm really able and willing and excited to talk about sort of what I see in terms of the deep beauty of this film. But um, I don't have to tell too much about... Um, I mean, we can say, and one thing that I think is brilliant about the film is these two characters that are so incredibly drawn, Simon, the punk rocker, and Patty, this sheltered uh, girl who gets bullied all the time, young woman who gets bullied all the time. And there's no way these two could ever in a zillion years come together. They're so opposite of each other. Uh, And the movie... (laughs) not only finds a way, but it's so um, beautiful, a beautiful way, unpredictable way. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go. Obviously, without spoiler, I mean, it's a rom-com. So, you know, it's a story of a guy, you know, like boy meets girl. In this case, it's the story of this on the lam, you know, punk rocker who is avoiding like the cops because they're after him because he uh, he he burnt the lawn of uh, of someone's house and and um, he befriends, or not even really befriends, but he essentially invites himself over to this unsuspecting, bullied young lady, and um, they, they they have that connection, and they they fall in love unexpectedly, and they go through this this interesting journey in this suburban town. What I love about this movie is, and you know, just even looking at like research where they talk about this great idea of like this. American urban decay that we've got. There's something still very, very beautiful in some of these shots where you see like the 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 the, the decay of American households versus a, a decay of American like Midwestern like suburbia. But there's still something very, very beautiful, not just in the relationships between these two people, but even the way that the movie is shot. And it's not that it's cinematography, like the, the cinematography isn't necessarily gonna win you an oscar but there is still something very very intimate and specific about this world that that you do latch right into and you're like all right i know where i'm at i know what's going on and this background is a character in itself and even though the movie doesn't have a super large budget and there aren't a ton of well-named actors although you've got leah thompson and a couple other you know people that that have very very successful careers this movie is very, very specific and rich within the world that it's told. And, um, and I I think it's done quite successfully. So I think there is something going on here that definitely lends itself a, uh, a film for conversation and a lot of like critical analysis, I think. Oh, so I watched it yesterday for the second time and, So the first time 
I was blown away by so many things I didn't predict that were going to happen and these ways that the writer director Adam Raymeyer Raymeyer we'll just say uh, the way he um, sets it up where I, I there's all these reveals that happen throughout the film so the second time I didn't notice that but I was thinking about how the very first scene in the movie I really don't like it's um, in mm. fact in fact the film is full of bodily fluids that just disgust me and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking about how it felt like Raymeyer was doing with the movie what punk can do which is kind of in your face push you away alienate you I was alienated at the beginning and I was reading um, a critical reviewer who said the same thing, but you start to get drawn in and then by the end you're in love with this world, but he starts it out pretty stark and fierce. Um, And the other thing I, I really was blown away by was we have two characters that are easy to label they're both, they both seem to be one thing. Real strong stereotypes, it feels like at the beginning. And we spend the movie realizing they are not what they seem to be. And that's brilliant writing, really, mm-hmm. I thought. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I remember watching this movie, and I, I, again, admittedly, I saw it for the first time last night in preparation. And I, I saw the trailer a few months back and I'm like, okay, there, there's something going on. And for the listeners, this movie first premiered at Sundance, I believe in 2020, but in all intents and purposes, it's a brand new movie because it's just gotten like kind of like limited release here and there. And now it's available for like video on demand, like effective this year in 2022. But, you know, I, I didn't know a ton about this movie, but the first, the opening scene, I'm like, okay, all right. I don't know if they're just trying to go for like a shock and awe. And obviously the the language right off the bat is in your face and uh-huh. it doesn't relent the entire way. Uh-huh. But as you said, kind of it, it does draw you in because there is something that's endearing about it. But that offensiveness and the the bodily uh, fluid aspect, I mean, it is again, it, it's it, it's leaning into that whole like punk rock kind of idea of, again, just also messing with those expectations. So if you're able to, which you should be, because I mean, you should be able to recognize what's going on. But if you're not, then maybe it could be a little bit off-putting. And I bring that up because I did pull two, two reviews and just give like a little, little blurb. First, I'll do the negative and then I'll do the positive. Or maybe I'll do the, the then I'll do the, the negative first. Dinner in America delivers on surprise and explosiveness. But much of its offense language, both racist and homophobic, feels gratuitous in a film that might have otherwise landed as an offbeat love story. And I see that and I appreciate it. But again, the the offensiveness is fully intentional as far as I can see it, is some of the the dialogue, which is again often extremely racist, homophobic, and incredibly offensive, also feels very, very specific that it's done in not necessarily a George Carlin way that he's playing with language, but very much the filmmaker, I think, is playing with language and the choices that these characters are making. At least that's the impression that I got. But after the first few minutes, I didn't I didn't necessarily know that was where it was going to go. But after like uh, about 15 minutes or so, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get what's what the what the filmmaker is really trying to do, or at least I that's how I believed what I what I thought the filmmaker was trying to do. You, you agree? Disagree? Very interesting. You know, in terms of racist language, I remember he does a I think a brilliant job at 
um, Simon is cruel to people in the film, but he's only cruel to people who were set up to not like. And in that one of those early dinners, the, there were the two racists, the father and the son, who are yelling epitaphs at the television. Mm-hmm. And you hate, I hated them, so I was fine with the right. violence toward them. Yep. You know, and I think Reimeyer does a great job at that. Um, the homophobic, yeah, I remember those. And, and it became just like expletive spaghetti that, you know, these characters use. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I wasn't bothered by the language. It felt very um, honest to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And again, just the whole thing about just punk culture, punk rock is is about making it's anti-societal. Like, I mean, the whole thing yeah, is about yeah, making yeah. you uncomfortable and doing yeah. everything. And and yeah, I mean, obviously, the people that are extremely racist and homophobic they're kind of deplorable human beings in in many ways. That I mean, he obviously. He, uh, our, our protagonist in, in Simon, you know, he has penchant for using like dropping F-bombs and, and, you know, saying the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the P word, if you will, but it's the, the real, real taste, uh, tasty, nasty, uh, expletives are, are done by those that we're not a big fan of, but that was a negative review that I had. The positive one is again, um, Shoot, I, I wish I would have attributed. But Dinner in America, written, directed, and edited by Adam Raymeyer, is a movie with anti-establishment, anti-social, quicksilver coursing through its veins. But at, but at its heart, it is a sweet love story, one of the sweetest in recent memory. Sometimes the movie comes along and surprises you. Sometimes the movie makes a poor first impression, but on closer examination, you realize there's more than meets the eye. To contradict Allen Ginsberg, First thought isn't necessarily always best thought. By the end of Dinner in America, I look back my own initial resistance with a small sense of awe. And I think there's something there. Again, it's it it's kind of like a blunt instrument when you when you first start this movie. Like, ooh, I don't know. I don't, I don't what is, what is this that I'm getting into? But as these characters unfold, they don't change. But our perceptions of these characters do change. And you realize, okay, this is the world that we're in. This is very, very specific. And this whole decay of establishment and society, and even quite frankly, language, they all kind of they they all work simultaneously. And it allows it allows it to be something again at the in the end quite, quite beautiful in the the de- the deconstruction that you're really watching. And whether or not Adam, uh, the, the, the director is that genius. I don't know, but he's certainly onto something with this one because there is a lot, like I said, like critical analysis. This is a film that even at its core, I think, you know, is relatively simple. I mean, your, your basic themes, obviously you're talking about suburbs and, uh, mental health and rebellion and punk rock and censor, censor, censorship or lack thereof, quite frankly, being yourself. I mean, these are all things that they're talking. And I apologize if I'm just going on like this, like uh, going down like a rabbit hole right now. But this movie, there is something about it that really did connect with me and that I got really excited about just even looking at it. Never mind the fact of how much I do love the the polar opposites of Patty and Simon of just like I you know, it, I, I love these two. I, I want, I, I want them to connect, you know, it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put it in maybe the, the same bubble as being polar opposites. Like, um, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot the, the, the sixties, uh, rom-com to completely offbeat. Oh my God. What is that? Anyway, I'll come back to that film. Um, Bud Court. Uh, shit. Anyway, it'll come back to me. I have to look it up. But where was I? Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're rooting for these two characters, and there there's there's a lot to like, lot to unpack. And so I think this particular critic kind of like hit uh, hit the nail on the head on that one. I read that review also, and I'm pretty sure it's Roger Ebert. Not you know, it's that uh, platform. It's not him mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. 
but it was somebody writing for Roger Ebert. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I think I'm impressed with the structure of the film and, you know, as a writer, we, we get excited. I get excited about that. It feels like there's very, there's nothing, I would say there's almost nothing wasted, not a moment wasted. Scene by scene is so structurally important. And this morning or last night, I was thinking about how it's lean almost like a fairy tale is lean in that uh, things feel inevitable, but they're also unpredictable. And that happy ending is really earned. I don't know, structurally, I'm just, I'm so in awe of how he structured the film in terms of the scenes. And then, and then the repeated refrain of dinners and Mm how, how, there's so many dinners that anchor the story. It's a brilliant. Did you know that he created this film from two different scripts that weren't working? That's what I heard, you know, and what I, I mean, admittedly, what, what I found out, this was from like a wiki is that he had taken two different ideas. One that he had written once upon a time and uh, which really kind of focused on Simon's clinical trial story. And then the other one, uh, was more focused on Patty or something like that. And he, he just kind of like bridged them. Do you have more in, insight no, on that? I think, I mean, that's all I know, but I just think I always fantasize about being able to take projects that aren't going anywhere and, and find right. a way to make them work. And yeah. uh, the fact that he did that in such a brilliant way. Um, wow. Kudos to him for that. Because I think, you can't always sew together pieces and uh, you would never know that they didn't. But the, but there is that tension also, which gives the film a lot of energy because both characters are fully developed. They're fully their own thing. And then, mm-hmm. then it's coming together. Yeah. Now, as far as like coming together and, and really getting that energy did you did you happen to come across that that piece or that article where we where they they talk about Adam uh, the director and then Emily Skeggs Emily Skeggs how they basically found this whole movie really to work through that song did you did you hear that no so they they did co-write that that watermelon song uh, oh, so the wow. the director and the um, and Patty who yeah. is a singer she was like nominated for a Tony years ago. Uh, years ago, I make it sound like a really long time, but like 2015, 2016, something or something like that. But they were able to, so they had co, they co-wrote and they, you know, she sang the song and he created the music and everything. So through that song, they were able to really kind of find a little bit of that energy and what it was that they were looking for to make this movie work. And before and I, I love that they. This movie is very much a like a punk rock, but the the standout song is like a like a power pop, like catchy catchy song uh, that is like right up like my own like music musical tastes and everything. And it was already like I was already enjoying this movie long before I knew that Emily Skeggs could sing, but like that didn't hurt. That did not hurt my enjoyment of this film. Uh, just you know. Again, her her character Patty, and she she completely crushes it. And there's there's you you worry about Patty in many ways. Obviously, she's bullied and she's sheltered. And then with all the medication, you also wonder: is this someone that's maybe a little bit like per, perhaps like on the spectrum? And you, all these different thoughts go on. And this movie never really establishes when it takes place, which makes it kind of timeless in a way that. Maybe a movie like Napoleon Dynamite also is kind of timeless, or a movie like even Edward Scissorhands, where they're not establishing this is when the movie takes place. And so maybe this movie takes place 10 years ago. Maybe it takes place 20 years ago. Maybe it takes place now. We don't know. But her issues are never really explored other than being bullied, and she's medicated, and this is what it is. And you enjoy the movie. I'm, I'm going on five different points 
my, my brain is like that. Like I said, I've only just processed this movie and I've, I've got, I've got a lot to say. Uh, but the, this was, this movie, it was already incredible. And then it's one heck of a, like a catchy, like pop, like a uh, power pop song that's going on. And I love that it's the music specifically that really helped them find that's where I was going that really helped them find this, uh, this energy within this film. Yeah. I was reading about him. He really is a musician. I mean, that's a big part of his life and he edits with a musician's sensibility. The opening credits just blow my mind Mm. the way he's, Using this this beat to sort of create this amazing energy at the opening, it's it's brilliant, and just the editing, the way there's these jump cuts that that are just warning us or telling us we are about to go into this land. It's funny that these films you were describing and this timelessness fits into this fairy tale. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. this this. Yeah, it feels timeless. Uh, I have to tell you, the pop song has been in my head for like 24 hours. I can't get it out. It's a worm in my head right now. So yay, thank you, I guess. I mean, it's only... uh, um, There was something else I was going to say about it. Okay, I've lost the other thought. Just just the song, round and round. Right, right. I, I feel bad because, you know, we we've mentioned, obviously, uh, Adam Raymeyer, uh, the our Simon, our, uh, our our central protagonist is the actor Kyle Ga- uh, Gallner, who's been in stuff for years. Admittedly, when I think of him, I think of a movie that came out earlier this year, which was uh, Scream, Scream 5, I guess, at this point. But he's been in stuff for forever. Emily Skeggs, I was new to her. Uh, Pat Healy, he's done stuff. Uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub, uh, who was uh, the the mother in this film, or the the mother of Hattie, she's been in everything for years. I, I think of her as Chloe on Twenty Four, and then of course Marty McFly's mother, Leah Thompson. Uh, what I do love in it's maybe not entirely not too subtle, but just this. You know, here we go. We've got Marty McFly's mom, uh, a little again, a little over a little oversexed with a with a with a young man at her dinner table, and I, I just couldn't help but see like the parallels, uh, like oh, you know, instead of it being Cal- Calvin Klein, Back to the Future, you know, it's this punk rocker, still again another musician, but I I was just getting like these parallels between uh, Leah Thompson in this movie and then Leah Thompson in Back to the Future, just having the having the hots for this 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 bad boy rocker in one case it was her son and another <laughs> one it's her daughter's you know a uh, guy that right. she brought home and right. and uh, <laughs> which i just thought was just kind of fun casting but also just just really really amusing and my own like my 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 ner- my film nerdism like yeah. flags were flying high that might be an easter egg you put in there i don't know now, also, uh, critically, just because we, we, we've shared our opinions, I will also mention that critically, it's done really well. I mean, the, the critics gave it uh, like a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences, especially when it comes in an indie film, you never know how they're going to respond. Sometimes they, they love them. Sometimes they completely revolt. In this case, it's right on par. I mean, we're looking at about 82%. Uh, so 91 critics, 82 audiences done really well, well received at... Sundance in 2020. Now, what I didn't look up is what that even looked like when when Sundance happened in 2020. Was that right? Because I can't remember the month that Sundance happened. Was that like right? Was that like one of the last things before COVID? Or was it like, I, I don't even know, because this movie's kind of sat for a couple of years since. Ah. Since. So I'm just kind of curious about that. If if it had a little bit of exposure, then everything shut down because now, you know, the movie got released in limited, limited, very, very limited theater runs in, in June. So in two years, it's, it went from riding the festival circuit into now getting video on demand. So I'm kind of curious about that. 
with maybe a little bit of time, I'd be able to research a bit more, but I don't have that answer if you do. No, I don't have that answer. It's a really great question. And I admire Reimeyer because he could clearly write a standard rom-com that would have been a mainstream blockbuster, but he was true to his vision. And not everybody's going to love this film, even though it's a brilliant film, because it does push against people's sensibilities. I mean, the mainstream's mainstream sensibilities. So um, would it have done better if if COVID wasn't a piece of it? I don't know. Um, will it always just be niche? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, favorite scenes? Any? What are some of your favorite scenes from the film? Before I answer that, I, I, I do want to say this thought that's come back to me, which is the, these characters are so well written. You're talking about Patty's medication. You know, I've spent time hoping that Patty stopped taking her medication <laughs> when the movie's over. Like, I am so invested in them. I fantasized about what would happen after the movie ended, and I want this to happen, and I want this to happen. That's that's kind of amazing. The book, these characters so hooked me. Um, I told you the very first scene I hated. In fact, watching it the second time, I was nervous to have to watch some of these body fluids again. But um, <laughs> but you know, I have to say that that first scene sets up so much. It can feel like a little bit like, what the hell? Why are we spending this time with this woman who, who's coming on to Simon in the strongest possible way? And um, it sets up the counter to Patty. Mm-hmm. And it says so much about Simon that he's not interested in that girl with the, the girl pounding the, the meat um, <laughs> in that first scene. Pounding's the wrong word. But anyway, um, I really love the scenes also with Kevin, the, the mm. brother. I, I just, I think he's brilliant. He makes me laugh. So Patty's got a brother named Kevin who she fights with all the time and their dinner table scene. Uh, I thought, I thought, all the dinner table scenes were pretty amazing when, when the families are all around the din- dinner table and how many types of dysfunction can we explore? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about um, you? I mean, there, there are a lot of favorite scenes just because you mentioned dinner table. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't help but be reminded of, of Simon walloping that one guy in the face with the turkey which I just think was just <laughs> hysterical in one of the early scenes in the movie. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I love that thoroughly. Um, a very, very low key, funny scene that won't necessarily spoil the movie. But at one point when he figures out who she is. Oh, yeah. She being Patty. He goes to the bathroom and she asks if he's, you know, going number one or number two. <laughs> and then, you know, he leaves. He, he leaves the house entirely, comes back later, exits the bathroom. And there's this perfect tower of toilet paper rolls waiting for him. And nobody says anything. It's just like a, a fun, like subtle, like visual gag, which those are like some of my favorite things in the world that I just laugh at. I'm like, oh, that's, that's genius. Yeah. Whether that's in the screenplay or that's like just a... You know, just, um, you know, like a like set designer, like director, you know, whatever it is like, oh, we, you know, this is in the script. This would be a fun visual gag. So love that. Um, the everybody being stoned and pantsless, I think, was also something that I thought was was, you know, just kind of um, silly and ridiculous, but also worked really well. And of course, the editing of of laying down the track was was just a really great great shot to see you know simon first you know doing doing like the the percussion and then doing the bass and then you know uh, the guitar and then you know her her singing just the editing of that was really good and then again just subtle visual cues which i loved which was him walking 
across that parking lot where he had the weeds, uh, you know, going through the cement. And then he comes back the other direction later on. And then that really, really wide, that, that, um, that wide shot of her right in the center of the screen at like the bus stop. And you have like, just like this vast, um, scenery behind her again. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing super crazy, but you, you get what's going on. You see what they're, what they're trying to tell you visually and it works again. It, it's a simple movie, but there's something very beautiful. And I, I couldn't also help but think, I don't know if you thought about this or if you're even a fan of this movie, but I got some really, really strong bad Santa vibes in this movie. And I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but almost beat for beat. This movie is very bad Santa in this unlikely couple. Uh, in that case, it's, you know, Santa and, and a kid, but two people that are on the opposite ends of, of appreciation within society and how they kind of team up and they connect and it, it's their journey. But where this movie has dinners, like re- repeat, repeating scenes of dinners, Bad Santa have like these repeating scenes of sandwiches and uh, they're there. And, and even the kind of the ending of, of, of how the movie ends without, without spoiling it. There, there are similarities there. Mm. And even the, the use of language where mm. I just not, I mean, it's like I said, the, the language is a, is a character in its own right, where it's just a blunt instrument of like profanity. But once you're able to allow that, and it's not that we're we're being prudes or anything, but it's extremely noticeable. I mean, this is it's a type of language that would make like Martin Scorsese movies blush. You know what I mean? Like it's very, very, very specific, and it's in your face. And uh, Bad Santa is kind of like that as well. And there's a lot of bodily fluids. Again, just almost beat for beat. It, it, there, there are some striking parallels. And maybe that's another reason why I love this movie so much is because I love Bad Santa so much. And this is just like a punk rock rom-com version of that story. Wow. I'll have to see that. I'll have to see that one. I You're talking about language and I'm thinking about David Mamet and mm. how, you know, there are certain writers that <clears throat> can take swearing to uh, the level of poetry. And I think what what's... Part of that is the love. I've always wondered how some filmmakers can use violence, but I don't feel degraded. I don't feel horrible. There's there's love at the core of the piece, whatever it is. And <clears throat> he does that here. There's so much love in the character of Simon. Uh, it takes a little while to maybe find it at first, but there is so much love and passion in Simon that it elevates the whole piece. So it isn't, you know, I think violence or, you know, verbal violence, physical violence is something that people sometimes use in a cheap way, but not here at all. It It's very poetic, I think. I, I do think of Mamet. Yeah. I see that. Now, earlier in our discussion, you said this was your second time seeing it. Like, how did, how did, how are you introduced to this movie? Oh, you know, I'm always searching for well-reviewed movies on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, so, yeah, it was really just searching for a movie to watch. And I'm, I'm a sucker for rom-coms. So, yeah, nobody introduced me. I mean, follow-up question, because you said that you're a sucker for rom-coms. Other than, other than say, this movie, what, what, what's another rom-com or two that you enjoy? Oh, wow. So they're all the old classics, but um, The Big Sick was pretty good. Uh, but nothing, you know, when you ask somebody a question like that, then now I can't think of any, of course. How about you? Are you a rom-com fan? Uh I enjoy a good rom-com I mean, and I, you know, and truth is I do, I do like them. I would, I'm not going to put it in my, my, my top, like my, my favorite genre, but I know I, I, I was tongue tied. I couldn't remember the movie I was thinking of earlier, but uh, just from like unlikely couples, but I do love Harold and Maude. 
Um, ah. That was a movie that that I that I couldn't I couldn't remember. Mm. Obviously, whenever you think of a rom com, I mean, it goes to like one of the the great ones being you know when Harry met Sally. But then there are these off these off the uh, like the beaten track uh, like rom coms like Safety Not Guaranteed. I think is one that I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy. And if you're not familiar with that, it stars Aubrey Plaza and it stars. Uh, Jake Johnson, who was on The New Girl, and then Mark Duplass, who mm. has been, obviously, mm. he and his brother, you know, ridiculous career. But if you're not familiar with it, and I've talked about on this podcast, and I had the actress Jenica Brugere, who was in this movie briefly as well. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite rom-coms. It came out maybe a decade ago, but it also tap, like taps into like one of my favorite like film tropes, which is time travel. And this is kind of like a time travel rom-com, mm. but not in the sense that other time travel rom-coms, it, it's this idea of regret and loss where this guy wants somebody to travel back in time with. Mm. Uh, so there are a couple reporters that like, they, they read this, this newspaper article looking for somebody to travel back in time, bring your own weapons, safety, not guaranteed. Oh, and they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. great film okay so yes. you did see that yeah 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 yes mm-hmm. now i'm remembering yes yeah so i mean those are those are like the type of rom-coms that i that i thoroughly enjoy so i mean i like commercial ones but i also do enjoy a good like indie rom-com like that one and that's just one that that i thoroughly enjoy and then then i love rom-coms that are like anti-rom-com like uh it's a disaster which is a whole movie about like a uh, couple's brunch. So all these couples to get, come together for like a brunch. And what we find out is one of the couples are breaking up. And what we also find out is, Oh, it's also the end of the world. And <laughs> it's uh, th- these like six or eight people having brunch and they're completely, <laughs> completely uh, horrible. Every single one of there. And then oh, wow. we find out, Oh yeah. You know, somebody dropped a, uh, like a like a chemical like bomb and it's the end it's like the end of days and it's like their final couple of hours and it's the movie's called it's a disaster and it's hysterical and so wow. it's just a just a ridiculous little like comedy like i said it's like an anti-rom-com but anyway i love it it's it's terrible that i end up forgetting so many movies and i think the commercial ones maybe stick in my head more because they are sort of like a pop song. Structurally, they're going to hmm. stick, right? So I'm remembering now Working Girl, which is oh, yeah. you know, classic, uh, brilliantly structured. Love that film. I don't like some of the choices they make with Melanie Griffith's um, high-heeled wardrobe uh she's she's they have to have her um vacuuming and like lingerie come on but um they're actually remaking working i I just i just saw some i don't know if it was like hollywood reporter but they're believe it or not they're they're doing a remake of working girl ah i can see that you know I, i can see it i can see that happening the movie came out what 1990 so we're like 30 some odd years so i get you know it i get it but at the same time, I'm also like, it's a really good movie. Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, who's the other actress? Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, yeah. Brilliant mm-hmm. villain. Uh, I hated her so much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, any any final thoughts before, you know, I, I, you know, again, thank you so much for hanging out with me. But any any final thoughts, any favorite quotes or anything in the movie that you want to, you want to, you want to share? You know, I just... Now I'm remembering that they play basketball together. I mean, it's oh just my God. so quirky and fun. And um, yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. I, the quote that I'm remembering is Simon says to Patty, I would not have predicted that. And I'm not going to say what he what he's mm-hmm. talking about, but I don't know. There are a lot yeah. of great quotes in that film. Yeah. 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 What I love about also the basketball, and again, I, I think I had referenced Napoleon Dynamite in, in this timelessness that the movie has. Also, there's a, a parallel where in that movie, they, they play tetherball. In this movie, they're playing basketball. But what I love about the basketball is just how bad they both are at basketball. 
which is just so great. I, I, I love that. Just a couple, again, of just societal like misfits that they don't fit in anywhere. And even when they're just trying to find something just casual to do and connect with each other, they both suck at that too, you know, and it's, it's endearing. It's endearing. And, yeah. and I, I love that. Uh, one of the recurring lines in, the, in this movie is, you need to take it down a notch. Oh, love, yeah. Thank yeah. you. That is the tagline. One of them. Yeah. You need mm-hmm. to take it down a notch. Um, I think, Simon, given given those uh, those jumpsuit dudes, uh, a walloping was a lot of fun, too, with the, with the cat. Uh, that was good. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the scene where I don't even know the name of the like the, the diner restaurant that they're at where she wants like the like the Hawaiian sandwich or Hawaiian burger or whatever. And he's asking her what's on it. And then she tells him. And then just that real like moment of like reflection of him thinking and thinking and thinking. Yeah, I'll get one of those too. It's, it's, it was just something like just trying to it just again, just fun, subtle, subtle humor that. It, it brings you into these characters and lets you know a little bit uh, about them. There's a lot going on in this movie, and it, it's a simple story, but again, a lot under the surface. And there's there's hope uh, for me anyway that this is one of those movies that is going to find its audience. You know, obviously it's it, it's a small indie film and. There's not a ton of buzz. Obviously, the critics know about it and those that see it, people like you that introduce it to me, um, I, I think that's awesome. And hopefully people are listening to this podcast and like, let me find out about this movie. But my hope is that this is going to move, be a movie that in 10, 15 years, people will be like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like a welcome to the dollhouse, which that movie took a little while for it for it to find its audience as well, that people look at like, oh, my God, this there and that timelessness also might also help this movie because you people might think of was this, did this movie take place in the 90s did it take place in the early teens or was this 2020 was this what america looked like because it doesn't put itself i don't know if anybody ever really has a smartphone in the movie i don't know uh even the tvs look kind of old everything all the music isn't played on a cd it's played on a tape deck Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also kind of very raw and in, in mm-hmm. film. So it also feels kind of punk rock in that respect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm, I'm right now. I'm just kind of, I'm improvising. Like I'm ad libbing. I'm all over the place right now. Um, yeah, I'm, it's good though. It's really great. The way you're bringing forth the timelessness of it. It is a really lovely feature of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's specific. It's very specific. But what it's specific about is are the characters and their relationship to the people around them, mm-hmm. whether it's the drug dealer or, you know, the parents or the guy who runs the clinic. It just feels like it's about these people and how they interact. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, Laura, that's all I've got. If there's anything else, uh, feel free to, you know, uh, wrap it up. But again, thank you so much for introducing me to this movie. This is something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to releasing this episode so people can hear it and get excited that they want to watch it as well. It's available on demand wherever you stream movies. So if you if you got Apple or Amazon Prime or whatnot, it, it's available on those platforms right there. But um yeah, I think the only other thing to say is it's brilliant to watch it once, but it is a movie that will reward watching it again. It's a it's a fantastic film. Well, Laura, thank you again. Please tell the listeners one more time how they can how and where they can find you. Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, Bar, B-A-R-R, LauraLewisBarFilms.com. Thank you so much. Oh, so thank great you very to much. be with you, Andrew. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Laura for hopping on the show. I'm incredibly appreciative for her introducing me to this movie. I hadn't heard of it. And now it's quickly going to be on like my, my short list of favorite films that I've seen in the past few years. I'm torn. Do I consider this movie a 2020 movie or a 2022 film? 
I don't know. I mean, it hit the circuit in 2020, but it only really came out in streaming in 2022. So I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that's about it for this week. As always, please do me a favor and tell your friends about the show. Get them to subscribe. Leave a review, as always. You can find more information about the show on my website, stampercinema.com. And you can even leave a review there. Take a look at the show notes as I'll have some information about Laura and more information about the, the film. But that about wraps it up. We will see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema.